everybody. Welcome to Community Roots, a place where we gather in community to talk about mental health so we can travel the journey of life together. I'm Julie Richards. I'm Sarah Wakefield. And we are off the beaten path today with Holly Jedlica. Welcome, Holly. Thank you for having me. We are so glad you're here and your connection with Sarah, which I'm excited for this conversation to unfold today, but let's just start, Holly, with you telling us a little bit about who you are and maybe your background or interest in mental health and where that's brought you to today. Yeah, for sure. Um, So I have been a licensed independent social worker working in mental health for 17 years. Um, I came to this in my mid thirties, I guess that dates me early thirties. That dates me less. Um, but I came, I came into mental health because I was a horse person first and, uh, did a lot of therapeutic riding and coaching in the horse industry and really had this strong desire to work in the mental health field. I know that comes from having a sister that was very mentally ill growing up with her um, and not being able to fix it, right? So I wanted to try to help other people and bring together my two passions of helping people with their mental health as well as horses. So in 2006, we founded PBJ Connections, which originated with the concept of doing equine-assisted psychotherapy for children and families but over the years has it has expanded to providing mental health services for all age groups. Um, and of course we've continued the equine assisted psychotherapy piece, but we also do more traditional forms of therapy via telehealth and in the office. Um, so we're kind of doing a whole lot of different things at our organization. It's been around 17 years and Sarah is now on our board because we're a Woo-hoo! I get to say middle-sized nonprofit now, I, I've oh, wow. been told. So that's nice. kind of exciting. <laughs> yeah, some growth and some history there over 17 mm-hmm. years is a long time. Tell us a yeah. little bit out of curiosity about that name, PBJ Connections. Where did the name originate? Oh, the story. Uh, so my co-founder and I had a horse training business first. And okay. we were at a horse show of like a really big horse show and we're looking around because everybody's eating and people were eating very interesting fancy foods and we literally had a loaf of bread and a jar of peanut butter and a jar of jelly and so we started joking that our our business was pbj dressage like dressage with perspective um and and it stuck and so when we founded the nonprofit together, the mental health program, we really wanted to keep the PBJ and came up with PBJ Connections. So that's that's the real story. Uh, when we don't feel like telling people that, three of our original horses were Pino, Bert, and Jenny. So <laughs> that works. A parallel <laughs> meaning. Yes, exactly. Yes. Well, of course, what I went to at first when I saw a PBJ, I was like, well, of course, that's peanut butter and jelly. But I didn't want to just kind of assume mm-hmm. that but you know no pun intended that it stuck right peanut butter kind of sticky <laughs> it's like that is super cool yeah well and i just love that the picture of pb and j because it's like a basic everybody should have pb and j if you're not allergic to peanut butter but like mental health everybody needs mental health help and 
there's like this picture in my brain of those two coming together. Yes, yeah. I love it. I love it. I love that it it starts, Holly, for you in such a meaningful place of a desire to help and to care for and that in your own home you were maybe exposed to some like feeling a little bit helpless or wondering what can I even do and I know that this matters like seeing the significance of it and then not sure of what path to take and it sounds like your love for horses became a kind of maybe natural output of a place to connect that piece of mental health for you yeah, for sure. I mean, it also took my own therapy to understand that much of my my own life has been a reaction to my sister. Um, but I, I really had this sense in the horse industry of not doing enough. Like this is just for fun and it's not earth shattering. It, it's really just for fun. So I really wanted to do something more meaningful. Um, and when we founded the program, the PBJ Connections program, we really wanted to be a mental health program that was benefiting from the use of horses to differentiate ourselves from other equine programs that may be doing therapeutic riding, or there's a whole lot in the industry that's like coaching and spiritual development with horses where they don't have licensed professionals. So that whole piece about being a mental health organization first has always been forefront for us, um, including our desire to help with research and how we seek funding and who we're having conversations with. So very early in the game, we were establishing ourselves with local community mental health centers, places like Ohio State, um, you know, in our county, it was like behavioral health care partners and talking to those folks about how this is mental health therapy and about how we're a mental health program. Um, and that's really benefited us, I think, in our success so that we're not this program doing things with horses. We're a mental health program and one of our modalities includes the use of horses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have to say that was one of the biggest draws for me when um, I first learned about PBJ was putting mental health first, um, because as a member of the equestrian community, you get exposed a lot to um, horse uh, therapy programs like Holly, you just said, but a lot of them don't put, most of them don't put uh, mental health first and care about the licensing, care about the certification, care about the standardization. And, um, so when I first spoke with Holly, uh, that was just a breath of fresh air. I, I felt grounded and centered <laughs> just in speaking about this program. And, um, and then I've actually been out and, um, have visited the facility and have visited during, or, or have participated in a, one of your fundamentals of equine therapy programs, which provides CEUs for your therapists, um, and the emphasis really is so heavily on mental health and that comes first and foremost. And the equines are just this mirror um, and a, a way for the client to process. Um, so not to take away from you talking more, Holly, but uh, for me, it, it's just it, so meaningful to see that out in our community. Yeah, I I would love to talk more, a little bit more about 
what it looks like when I would love for you to do that. Yeah, because um, some of us don't have the background to know how do these pieces match up. So please expand, help us understand and imagine kind of walking with you through this. Yeah. So um, currently we have five therapists on staff here and what it looks like when someone wants to come for services is that they initially do a diagnostic psychosocial intake assessment with the therapist and that's in the office. It's very thorough. I kind of pride pride ourselves on having this really thorough uh, intake assessment so that people aren't just getting diagnoses slapped on them for the sake of having a diagnosis. Um, we work with most insurance companies and are very deep in the understanding of how equine therapy is covered or not covered with insurance companies. Um, But when a client comes in and they do that assessment, the therapist helps them decide if equine therapy is going to be the right modality for them or if they need something different like EMDR or TFCBT or, you know, another modality that might be more appropriate for wherever they're at in their treatment. So it's not a default that everyone ends up in equine therapy. Um, And in fact, for us, we get a lot of referrals or people calling us because they found us on their insurance panel or because we're the facility down the street from them. And they have no idea that we even do equine therapy. So we're um, helping them understand all of their options and make a good decision for themselves. Uh, so if they if we've landed on that that the EAP or equine assisted psychotherapy is the best thing for them, what that looks like is then for the subsequent sessions they're meeting us at one of our two facilities where there are horses, and there's a treatment team that consists of their mental health professional, you know, their therapist that they did the intake with an equine specialist, which is someone with a whole lot of horse experience. There's some requirements around that and the horses themselves. Uh, So I, as a horse person and a mental health person, feel that the team approach is imperative. Um, I don't think we can do the horses a service uh, if if I'm the mental health person, because you just don't have the bandwidth in a session to pay attention to all of the nuances of the horses and what they're saying and your client. So I I believe the team approach is really, really important. We use a model called the Gala model that was founded in 1999. It's recognized worldwide. It's probably the biggest organization certifying people in EAP, in equine assisted psychotherapy. And, you know, it's not the hear all end all. There's a bunch of certifications out there, but we really like this team approach. We like that the horses aren't ridden and that the premise is really that they get to be themselves as prey animals, as herd animals, and just provide feedback to clients. There's a lot of metaphor involved. Uh, Kind of the whole concept is that the client is externalizing what's on the inside and putting it on the outside. So one of the examples I like to use is that if someone's coming in because they're having a lot of anxiety, which seems to be everyone these days, right? Lots of anxiety Mm -hmm. happening out there. It Mm -hmm. got worse during COVID. Um, We would, we have a framework that we follow 
that might include just inviting them to find where anxiety is showing up in the space with the horses. And so that might be with a particular horse that they notice anxiety. It might be their own feeling of anxiety, either when they're close or far away from the human facilitators or near or far from horses. Like if all the horses walked away from them, they might experience more anxiety because they're feeling rejection. Or if a horse walks right up to them and it's really big and it's standing next to them, they might experience anxiety that way. And so then we take it from there. It's very client-centered. The client is doing the projecting. We are not attaching meaning for them um, as to the behave what the behaviors of the horses are meaning. Um, and so it creates this very sort of story-centered external experience for them. Um, and of course, there's a lot of nuance to it, but they're not learning about horses per se. They're not riding, they're not learning horsemanship. It's really their own experience that they create out there in the pasture or the arena with the horses. Um, so it can be really, really powerful with a lot of people. And just like anything, it's not the only modality that works. Sometimes it's not a good fit for people and they need to go into the office and do a more structured type of therapy or a, a deeper processing type of therapy, internal processing. And I want to say that there's not just horses involved here. Um, there are many donkeys, pigs. I don't know if you guys use the, oh yeah, you do use the pigs in um, <laughs> sessions. Um, so it's a wide variety of equines and four-legged animals. The pigs insert themselves into <laughs> equine sessions. They are not supposed to be the focus, right? It really is equine therapy, like horses, donkeys, miniature horses, like you were saying, Sarah. Um, but yeah, there's uh, cats that wander around, you know, barn cats, and there's these two pigs at the one facility, and they do insert themselves. And because they might be part of the story, they they often end up holding meaning as well. I mean, we've had everything from a pool noodle to a cat to the fence line to a bird flying overhead, like all of these things may become part of someone's story. But fundamentally, it's what are the horses doing? What are they saying in the session that, that we keep coming back to? So translate, Holly, I'm I'm so intrigued by all of this because I've not had the experience at all. It makes me want to just come out for a day <laughs> be like, will Please you have do. me just see what this is like? Because it's so hard for me to wrap my mind around even your clarity of like people aren't actually riding the horses. I'm like, oh, okay, this is new information to me. Um, but that the, the horse has something that we're translating there. Like I have zero understanding of that. So could you expand a little bit about what you're noticing within the horse? Um, Cause I'm still like, I'm thinking back to my own experiences with horses, which is very limited. Mm -hmm. I had a horse step on my foot one time and I'm thinking this is a large animal. I've had the let's go horseback riding and please make sure I get one that's really calm because I don't know what I'm doing and trying to figure out my own body on the rhythm of riding. So if I'm not riding and I'm trying to understand, I appreciate the fact that you're saying like centered on the unique experience of that client 
and you're not adding the meaning, but there is something happening with this horse that the horse is communicating and that you're able to notice or translate. Like, can you give us some more understanding of some of what that might look like? Yeah. So I'm going to, let me break it down in the gala model. We look at this treatment team, like I was saying of the equine specialist, the mental health professional and the horses. So the horse's role is literally to just be themselves. They're not necessarily, they don't necessarily have equipment on them. They might be out in the middle of a pasture. There's a group of seven that I'm looking at right now that would just, people would just join them in the pasture. And horses as prey animals that get hunted in their natural environment, they're vegetarians, they don't do any hunting. They're inherently tuned into our congruence. So predators, including humans, the top dog predator, we're able to be very incongruent, right? Where our insides don't match our outsides. Horses can't do that. So by nature of being prey animals, their insides always match their outsides. So if they're scared of something, you will see a behavior that exhibits fear. If they're relaxed, you will see a behavior that exhibits relaxation. So that's what they're doing. <laughs> and they will react differently to a client that's congruent than to one that's not, right? One yeah. that's putting on a facade because that feels like, is that predator hunting me? Um, and that sounds really extreme. It's, of course, our domestic horses aren't afraid of people eating them, right? That's not their fear, but they still are tuned into that incongruence that they are feeling from any other animal, mm -hmm. including humans. So that's what the horse is doing. The equine specialist is holding these two, like two things. They're, they're carrying the client's story, whatever that is. And then they're also really watching the horse's behavior. There's actually an acronym that EGALA uses, and I think it's kind of a ridiculous one, but they've been using it for years, and it's spuds like a potato. But the S stands for shifts, and a shift is literally any shift in the horse. So it could be the horse moves from here to there, closer to another horse, its head comes up, its head goes down, it's moving fast, it's moving slow. So anything that changes in the horse's behavior even very minute things like their ears moved, that would be a shift. So the equine specialist is noticing all of that. Um, they're noticing patterns. So that's any shift that's happening three or more times. Picture a horse walking away from a client three times in a row. That would be a pattern. Um, unique things. So that can be things that are unique to those specific horses, or it can be things that are unique to horses in general. Uh, an example I give is I had a client recently where three weeks in a row, most of the animals laid down during her session. Mm. So that felt unique. I mean, yes, horses lay down and they take a nap, but it was just really interesting that three weeks in a row, these horses, just most of them would just lay down in the middle of her session. So that was unique because you don't often see most of the herd laying down at the same time. So that was a thing. Uh, then you're also looking at discrepancies. So that would be the client saying something or acting like um, this horse hates me when the horse is standing there very relaxed, letting the client pet them. Mm. If that's happening, but the client saying the horse hates me, that would be a discrepancy. 
So the discrepancies do involve the client because horses don't have discrepancies by themselves. Um, and then there's this apostrophe us, which is our human facilitator self-awareness. Like what are we having a reaction to? So we use this acronym as a framework and the equine specialist in particular is watching all of those shifts, patterns, unique things in the horses. And without interpreting it for the client, on one hand, is also interpreting it in their own mind for safety on the other hand. So if a horse, for instance, is exhibiting an escalating irritation behavior, they're not going to say to the client, that horse is getting really irritated with you. They're going to do a different sort of intervention to keep the client safe because they can see that the horse is getting irritated. But it may be part of the client's story. Um, so if the client is reading that irritated behavior as affection, that's something for the, the mental health professional to pick up and process, right? Because that probably speaks to what their human relationships are looking like, that they're tolerating a lot of negative behaviors from people in their lives. It tracks 100% of the time. Mm. <laughs> um, wow. And then the mental health professional is also looking at these shifts, patterns, unique things in the horses. but what we're holding in our mind is our treatment goals, the client's diagnosis, what the client has said, you know, what they're really struggling with, and then helping them externalize it out there into the space and have an experience around that at the same time. So we may not be going as deep with our verbal processing. We're asking very pointed questions to help them explore whatever their struggle is while they're out there interacting with the horses. We kind of have this thing we ask ourselves, I guess, that's if, if we're processing too much, like we might in an office, which we're all skilled at, why are we standing here with the horses, right? Mm -hmm. It's more expensive mm -hmm. to do equine therapy. Uh, we have another person standing here. We have horses standing here. So when we find ourselves doing a lot of maybe psychoanalytic processing or something like that, we have to ask ourselves, why is that our apostrophe s like is that our concern that we're not doing enough as a therapist mm -hmm. or does that really need to happen in that moment so there's this level of self-awareness that comes into it for the human facilitators that becomes very very important and i would argue has made all of us better therapists even when we're not out there with the horses mm. i love that yeah one of the things that springs up for me is this concept of congruence um, that horses don't have that capacity to be incongruent, that they will very authentically express what's going on and be honest and accurate with it, whereas humans have this insides and outsides that don't match. One of the things that I find fascinating with that from a neuroscience standpoint, which I always love understanding about our brain, is that that registers to the human brain as threat also, because it's like something's off here. Like I can intuit or kind of our neuroception of this isn't what's really happening, but it's being presented to me as if it's happening. And that puts stress on the human brain too. So I think that's cool that um, horses are paying attention to that, to notice like something's not matching here. This doesn't feel safe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the other piece is, 
it's in our name, PBJ Connections, but we all know, I think all of us in the field, just all of us living right now, feel the disconnection, right? Mm -hmm. Of um, our disconnection from nature, our disconnection from each other that got much, much worse during the COVID era and has continued. I mean, we we know the loneliness factor continues to increase in people. We're seeing that in research. Um, we, we know that people are often in this predator's hard eyes state, right? We're staring mm -hmm. at devices, computers, mm -hmm. driving, like we're doing all these activities that are doing this thing to our nervous system. And just by placing someone outside with a group of horses in nature, they're closer to nature than we are, can be very regulating, even if people don't understand intellectually what's happening for them. And mm -hmm. we hear that all the time. Um, there are people that come here and get more anxious because they're scared of horses and that's a different kind of session. But a lot of people are like, oh, I feel so much more relaxed now. And they don't even understand that it's their nervous system regulating just because mm. of the environment. Wow. And horses, again, as prey animals, they stay regulated 99% of the time mm. in, in nature because they are prey animals. So if they get scared, they will react quickly and then reacclimate quickly. They don't mm -hmm. hold on to a fear. Whereas if, you know, if I get very scared as a human, two hours later, I'm going to be like, oh my God, that was so scary. And I have to tell Sarah and Julie about this scary thing. And I keep holding on to it and living mm -hmm. it over and over with my nervous system. Horses don't do that. There has to be something actively happening that's scaring them for them to be scared. The rest of the time, their heartbeat is slow. Their vagus nerve is regulated. Like they're just chilling out there right and that that impacts us when we're in their space we're, let's pause this a second like we're losing you holly holly can you hear me i think holly's frozen which is no we've lost internet oh 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 here oh. she is oh she's back here we are yay maybe <laughs> Okay, good. You can hear us. So I'm marking it, Sarah, at 25. Um, yeah. I think we started to lose you. So if you can kind of go back to the last minute of what you were saying. Are you still here? You're, it looks like you're not. Oh, she's gone. Oh, she's back. Okay, now you're back. Hopefully you yeah, stay. Now, now we're all back. I don't know what is happening. My signal is strong. So Yeah, it looks, you look great over, like, on your signal. I would say the last minute and a half um maybe two minutes we kind of uh lost and i was fully engrossed in what you were saying what you were talking about horses don't not holding on to something after the, the fear but we do so can you kind of backtrack and say that section again sure yeah so they they are only their nervous system is only experiencing fear when there's actually something to be afraid of and we are not right. We keep talking about it and experiencing it long after it's over. We hold on to that stuff. They, they don't. And so when clients are out with the horses that are regulated, it's by nature regulating, right? When we're around another regulated being, it helps our nervous system regulate. So even if we don't understand what's happening, our nervous system is understanding it that way. Uh, so that can be very powerful as well. And just plugging people back into nature and back into healthy relationships 
because horses will only let us have healthy relationships with them, at least in this setting. I'm not going to get into what happens in like the horse industry, but in this Mm -hmm. setting, there's not uh, unhealthy relationships happening over and over with the horses. They're giving feedback and we're reacting or we're processing. That sounds amazing. I love it. How true, like our nervous systems, we tend to hold trauma in our body. We, our reaction is delayed and stuck in our nervous system. And so often doing the trauma work of going back to either activate that neural net or experience so that we can have a new reparative experience with it or complete the action of what had started but didn't have a chance to complete yeah we're we're kind of delayed in our human processing and so that is so cool that a horse doesn't do that and is just able to be authentic to what it's experiencing in that moment feel it release it you know and if there's nothing there in that moment to fear the fear has already been processed for them yeah and this is about their mental health, not the human mental health, which is really what we're talking about. But it's not to say that a horse can't have a trauma trigger. Like if someone mm-hmm. was very cool to a horse wearing a baseball hat, this is always the example we all use. Uh, next time they see a guy in a baseball hat, they may have a scared reaction mm-hmm. because that's a trigger. Even if that that new guy in the baseball hat's not being scary, they're yeah. associated, they've associated But what is different is that when they're just out in the field and there's no one around with a baseball hat, they're not thinking about, is a guy in a baseball hat going to show up? Mm -hmm. Whereas we are often, right? Clients, especially with trauma, they're always waiting for the the other shoe to drop. And horses just don't survive that way. They're mindful all the time. Yeah. Wow. So how do we help connect some dots for people who haven't had this opportunity, but they're looking for a takeaway of, um, I don't know, how to be more mindful themselves? Or how do we bridge some connections, encouragement, or support to, to our listeners today? Such a great question. (laughs) (laughs) We call Um, that a right brain question. It's like, let's just sit with that and see what comes up for us. Because, or even what you, Holly, have have learned over the years, either about yourself or humans or the process itself. Like, what have been some of your takeaways that have been meaningful for you? You know, I think the first thing that jumps to my mind, since I am very right-brained, so I can just blabber an answer to your question, but we do, we do an activity, like a mindfulness activity that we call being like a horse. And we'll do that out with the horses. And it's essentially that same mindfulness activity that every therapist everywhere uses of tell me what, or, you know, express what you're seeing, hearing, tasting, smelling, feeling with touch. And we will do that with the horses and have people practice it. And then, because that's what the horses are doing, and then help them continue practicing that outside of sessions. 
And everyone says, it's so much easier to do here than when I'm at home. And of course it is because they don't have all of the distractions, right? So I think a lot of a lot of the takeaways just in general are that we as humans in general need to check back in with our senses more often and mm-hmm. be more mindful. Um, we need connection and the horses are very easy to connect with because they're open to it. But we can find that connection by going on a walk. Uh, I tell people sometimes, like, go say hello to your Starbucks barista. Just have a moment of connection with another human being. Um, Go, you know, hug your dog, you know, (laughs) hug your dog or your cat and notice the connection. Because I think a lot of times what people are doing in our era is even when we're having moments of connection, we're missing it because we're worried about the next thing. Mm. So um, I think that's like the in the broader sense, if you don't have access to equine therapy to really drill into it with mm-hmm. professional help, I think we all can readily practice this in our own um, necks of the woods. And it, you know, talk about off the beaten path. Back at 20 years ago, I was very interested in a concept called eco-psychology. I don't know if you're familiar with eco-psychology. I haven't heard of it, no. But it's it's this uh, premise that uh, some of our emotional health issues are coming from a disconnection from nature. Mm. And um, it's fringy, I'm not going to lie, but I love the concept because it's really all about just getting mindful in your environment. And in in studying that, in some ways, we would do things like be mindful with your houseplant, right? Not talking to it, not being like, woo-woo, just be mindful with it. Like, touch its little leaves. I have a houseplant sitting on my desk that I'm slowly killing, actually. But um, you know, being mindful with a houseplant or sitting in your own backyard, even if you live in the city, um, connecting again on a more face-to-face personal level, which I think people forgot how to do during COVID because they got scared. And um, I just feel like that's such a root of what we're all struggling with or what we see clients struggling with now is all of that attention and focus on what's happening on devices or with fear, the fear-based decisions of, you know, not interacting with other people or, um, you know, not feeling pretty enough to go out or even, you know, the drill, just all of those things that stop people from seeking healthy connection. Yeah. What a crisis really for years that we've had that disconnection and we so much need to be able to get back in tune and in touch with what's happening in our own bodies. What are we noticing through our sensations? How can we get with nature? I'm all about the talking with the plants though. I have to say, maybe I, <laughs> you could call me woo woo if you want, but it's like, I love, I have all kinds of different plants in my office and I just love noticing the little growth and the change of this little tiny something is different than it was before. I think that's amazing Mm -hmm. that it's alive Mm -hmm. and beautiful and a piece of nature that I can bring inside. Um, it's, I think it's a moment of connection, like you said. And I also love the idea of 
that it's moments of healing, moments of connection, and it's the noticing that matters, like slowing it all down to, I'm just here now in this space, being present, and that is more impactful for our healing and our growth and our brain health than missing the moment and having that disconnection, mm-hmm. whether it's screens or zoned out or dissociation or whatever it might be, but it's coming back to, we've talked about the phrase on community roots of coming back to home base, like getting back into our skin and our body and movement and breath and all of these things that help us to be vitally alive. Yeah. One of the things I delight in now um, when I get the chance is to go out and stand barefoot in my yard, um, on some grass and just the sensation of recognizing how it tickles or if there's a stone or listening to the, and listening to the birds at the same time and noticing that. But I find that so delicious. And it's one of the ways that I find that I can regulate myself when I can't be near my horse, um, is, is to go. And I don't know what they call it. I feel like there's a term for standing on the grass or digging your fingers into some dirt or hugging a tree. Um, I feel like there's a term for that, but I find that to be really helpful for me. I love that. I love that. Well, any closing thoughts for us, Holly, anything else on your mind that you want to mention anything that we didn't touch on? Well, I'm sure I could go on for hours about all of this (laughs) because I am obviously passionate about it. I'm passionate about mental health. I, you know, could talk forever about the problems I'm seeing and what I think the solutions would be and how difficult that is in our society. Yeah. But um, I, I guess I keep it. So for me, coming back to this medium-sized nonprofit that we've started in this neck of the woods, like we feel like we're making a difference for people. And I think we can all do that, right? Like it makes a difference for your life, whoever you are, if you're holding the door open for someone or just making eye contact and saying hello. Um, you know, we, my partner and I make a practice of doing that with people who are homeless. We just look them in the eye and say hello when we walk by just for the connection. Uh, so I think all of that matters. And like what Sarah was saying, the, the piece of just enjoying your backyard and, and feeling that the earth and having the sensations, I, I find over and over again, people will tell you all of the terrible things that were said or done to them in their day or their week when they come in for a session. And then they later, after they're grounded, then they start telling you all the wonderful things that happened, right? Mm-hmm. And they're forgetting to notice those things when they're in that agitated state. So we just do ourselves such a disservice by allowing ourselves to be in a constantly heightened, irritated state. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, just connecting and disconnecting from the things that are irritating us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. mm-hmm. Kind of the idea of notice the glimmers. Notice those things, the glimmers, the good (laughs) moments. That is awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Holly. Where can people find you? So we, our website is just pbjconnections.org. And all of the information is there, including our email and our phone number um, and all of that. 
Wonderful. We will connect that in the show notes. And thank you all for joining us today. Thanks, Holly, for being with us. Sarah, happy to have you with us, too, and being together. The connection matters. Um, Thank you, listeners, for being with us. And please feel free to share us with um, friends and family and coworkers and grow this sense of community and support and reducing some of that loneliness and disconnection and helping people to find a safe space to be known and seen and cared for and welcomed and embraced. We are so glad that you are here. We'll see you next time.